is America with Rich Valdez, powered by PolitiWeek.com. And Rich Valdez is with us, former Christie administration official. You work for Chris Christie, you've been in politics, done a lot of public service stuff. Rich Valdez, columnist now with the Washington Times. This is America. Richie V, you're on the air with the nation. The nation. This is America with your host, Rich Valdez. What's up, America? I am Rich Valdez. Valdez with an S, your liberty-loving Latino amigo right here, 17 miles away from Madison Square Garden in New York City. And there's a lot to talk about. Make sure you get at me at Rich Valdez with an S on all of these social media. Now, there's a big case in the Supreme Court today, and everybody's thinking this is the game changer. This is going to be the one that takes out Joe Biden. This is going to be the one where we put members of Congress in prison or at least uh, get them out because they didn't do their job. They were derelict of their duty. And this is the Brunson case. Now, the Brunson case uh, was brought by two brothers named Brunson. And uh, one is Rallon Brunson. The other one is Lloyd Brunson. You've seen them on some of the um, television shows and whatnot. And I haven't paid a lot of attention to this, not because I uh, wasn't aware of it. It's because I don't think it's going to amount to much. Uh, there's very little coverage of it now. And I think that has a lot to do with the the fact that it's just... It's it's a nice idea, you know. Maybe I'm wrong, you know. Maybe I need to be more pie in the sky. But I look at this and I say, this is a non-starter. Hopefully, I got it wrong, right? Maybe you guys will all be beating me up on Monday and saying, you know what? On Monday, the ninth of January, when the Supreme Court uh, announces what they discussed on Friday, January sixth. And speaking of the sixth, we're going to get to a little bit of that uh, later in the program. I also want to talk about some of the crazy stuff that's going on, child trafficking, child sexual abuse. There's just so much of that always in the news. And I want to kind of connect a few dots on that. So we're going to do that in a subsequent segment. We're also going to throw in a little bit of Biden at the border and some of the grotesque things that are being um, alleged of Andrew Tate, as well as the gridlock uh, with the uh, contest for speaker, which I predict is coming to a close very, very soon, perhaps even on Friday night at that vote. So we're going to get to that as well. But I want to talk about this Brunson case, because the Brunson case, again, like I said, interesting case. Uh, Interesting, although I don't think it goes anywhere. But the Supreme Court of the United States is expected to decide on Friday, the 6th of January, if they're going to hear a lawsuit alleging that lawmakers violated their duty by certifying the electoral votes on January 6th uh, to certify Biden as president and Kamala as vice president. Again, that's Joe El Baboso Biden and Kamala Harris. Now, there are 385 federal lawmakers between the two legislative branches that this lawsuit uh, says they must go. The lawsuit stems from the electoral vote certification held on January 6th of 2021. Now, the petitioner, uh, his name, I said Rowland. It's not Roland. It's like Roland, but with an A, Rowland Brunson. He's accused the defendants of ignoring evidence of fraud and thereby fraudulently enacting or inaugurating uh, the presidency of Joe Biden. Now, this is a... um, a big deal. And obviously, it's never happened in our history. And I tend to rely on precedent. That's just how I am. I get a lot of people. And listen, I, I always say to my children and to other people, in order to get things you've never had, you've got to do things you've never done. And I believe in that. You know, and I've been able to achieve a, a lot of things that I've wanted to do in life. I think mainly by the grace of God. Uh, I should say solely by the grace of God, but with whatever, you know, talent, skill and ability he's given me. And that ADD and foresight to think that I could do whatever I feel like. But at the same time, I'm a realist and I'm grounded in the idea that you have to look at precedent. There are things that have happened before us. There are those that have gone before us. 
And when it comes to a Supreme Court case that was filed in a state court and then subsequently moved to a uh, federal court where it was dismissed, and then they said, well, we're going to use something called Rule 11 that is going to, you know, allow us on appeal to go straight to the Supreme Court, which is going to allow for the case to be heard by the court if they choose to hear it because it has potential national security implications. So this is, um, it's complicated. And these guys are, I think they have a, I'm not going to say a sound legal strategy because I'm not a lawyer, uh, but I will say an, an interesting one and a clever one. Does it work? I don't know. These guys are representing themselves. They're selling copies of their case on their website for $1 to raise the funds for this uh, this legal effort. Uh, but bottom line is, this was heard on Friday the 6th, um, well, not heard, but conferred upon in a conference of Supreme Court justices. And what happens is they they figure out, are we going to take the case or not take the case? And Monday, they put it out in a little printout. They say, hey, this is, these are the cases that we're going to take for our next session. I'm... Um, I believe they're not going to take the case. If they do, then I will stand corrected. Look, I'm I'm not afraid to be wrong. I don't think that it uh it it, it unqualifies me to be me at the end of the day if I'm wrong. But I don't think I'm going to be wrong. And matter of fact, I'm going to bring in Fox News legal analyst for the uh, late night show America at Night with Rich Valdez, the former Jim Bohannon show, which I have the privilege of hosting. We're going to bring in us uh, um, the legal analyst from Fox News, Greg Jarrett to uh, weigh in on that a little bit, as well as some January 6th stuff. But what I want to talk about is this Brunson case. And I just want to give you a few points that are in my head, because for me, it's it's bogus, right? It's just not going to happen. It's an effort and great. They're trying to raise some awareness, I understand, because it galvanizes the troops, which is good. You get people saying, yeah, let's get rid of Biden. Let's get rid of our bad Congress people. But I think it ultimately is, it's not the ideal way to get to where we have to go, right? So it creates false hope which I think is bad. It galvanizes the troops, which I think is good. However, its main purpose is to raise that awareness, which is also good. But that has some unintended consequences. And I think they're hoping that it's so bombastic and so high level that the media will be forced to cover it. Instead, the media's ignored it. And I think it's a miscalculation by the Brunson brothers. But again, I could be wrong. Now, Everything that I think we need to know about this case that's going into the conference, or actually was already conferred upon, because right now we're recording on a Friday night, so uh, this already happened, and we're just waiting for Monday to roll around for this to happen. But they're they're expecting that Biden will be removed from office. Some expect that he'll be arrested. These things aren't going to happen. This is not um, a legitimate uh, concept, right, that... We shouldn't have this concept of imprisoning our politicians. Look, I don't like Biden as much as the next guy. And I'm not saying Biden shouldn't go to jail. I'm saying that we shouldn't embrace the concept of imprisoning our political um, enemies or our political dissidents, our political opponents, because that's what debate is for, right? That's what, what the whole body politic engages in, is this national discourse. Anyway. That's not what the court's conferring on here anyway. They're going to weigh in on the national security implications that are alleged on this state case that was rejected at a federal court. So, look, I get it, and I agree that there ought to be consequences, but I also live in this real world. And you don't have to be a lawyer to know that proving a conspiracy is very hard, right? When you have to prove that they knew 
what they were doing. And the Supreme Court is not a criminal court, nor are they going to uphold a case that calls for the the removal of a sitting president. I just don't see them doing that. Um, I mean, yeah, they might have overturned Roe. I don't think they're going to kick Biden out of office because they're alleging that the lawmakers that voted on these things while some states were still saying we're concerned about the legality of our votes. Um, so you can't count these votes and therefore certifying Biden was illegitimate. I think the um, I just think I don't think this has a light to stand on. I really don't. Um, and let's see. I think that's probably everything I wanted to say on that, because, again, I don't think this is going to go anywhere. But ultimately, this is how it goes. And I realize that some lawyers and lawmakers that are, are breaking some of the rules that we're not happy with, these are the same guys making the rules, right? And they're pushing these lawsuits that they themselves have created with their entrenched political allies that are presiding over and adjudicating these same cases, right? Like in Pennsylvania. I realize that there's a lot of wrong things that happened in Pennsylvania. I also know that the Pennsylvania Supreme Court is who pushed this along with Mark Elias. And they seem to have the monopoly on getting this done and getting over. We don't. So there's another case that's before the Supreme Court that I hope they take. Um, and it seems to me way more up their alley. It's way more of a constitutional question that the court uh, exists to answer or at least to clarify. So I know it's frustrating and I'm frustrated, too. But more frustrating is when you take good and honest people that believe in free and fair elections and God and country and family and you try to turn them into people that want to hang all of their political enemies. Uh, that, that's not who we are as a people. And I've got news for you. The Uniform Code of Military Justice, because I hear so many things, I get so many comments on social media. This is not for civilian politicians, whether they're funneling themselves cash and crooked deals with corrupt international players or not. And it's not something that we can just um, abandon the Constitution over. This only hurts and hinders us. It hurts our ability to actually achieve change, to actually win. And we can't abandon truth or logic or the Constitution just because our political opponents and ideological enemies have done that. Two wrongs don't make a right. Otherwise, we're no different. So don't go anywhere because we've got a lot more in store. Like I said, we're going to talk about a couple of things related to the um, Dr. Alfred Kinsey and one of his uh, disciples that is a real whack job. Don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's brown, he's bald, and he's breaking it down. Oh, he's so handsome. What's his name? Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And I want to talk a little bit about this whack job of a man. This, this is a very grotesque man, a very uh, evil man, and his name is Gaydusek. I think I'm saying that right, Gaydusek. Uh, this, this guy, Daniel... Carlton Gaidusek, and that's G-A, soft J, D-U-S-E-K. It's a Slavic name, Gaidusek. I think that's right. Gaidusek or Gaidusek. Anyway, uh, Daniel Carlton Gaidusek, or Gajusek if you want to go with the hard J. He is a virologist, sexologist, convicted child molester who went to jail after he brought 56 boys to live with him. But this story gets worse because, well, 
first, I want you to hear a little bit about this, right? This, his, this is an old story. This is not breaking news. This is me scrolling through social media, and I saw a post where there was a tiny clip that mentioned uh, this guy and this, this documentary by the BBC from 1996, I think it was. And in this, he's not only whining, but trying to make the case of why it's okay for him as a uh, medical researcher, I think he's MD, PhD background, and I could be wrong on that, but he makes the case of why it's okay to engage in pederasty, which, as you may or may not know, pederasty was something that they engaged in ancient Rome, where the, the, you know, the philosopher kings of the time, uh, the, the smartest guys, some parents actually bought into this and said, you know what, here's my young son, you can play with him sexually and uh, in exchange for teaching him, right? And that, that was, you know, in a nutshell, what pederasty was. And it's a sick practice that most people think died in ancient Rome, but it didn't die. It just became societally unacceptable and still exists today. And you can clearly see this guy thinks, you know, he's some big researcher. This guy won a Nobel Peace Prize. And uh, such a huge uh, figure, this Dr. Gajasek. And yet he was still such a warped and twisted individual that eventually, despite all of his accolades, gets uh, gets locked up and gets thrown in jail for a very short amount of time. Uh, I mean, on this video, you're going to hear him admit to having sex with three to 400 boys. And this guy went to jail for a year. But I want you to listen to this clip of audio. We have a few clips, and we're going to get to them. Uh, I'm going to take my time with this because I think this is really sick, crazy stuff, and I want you to hear it right from the horse's mouth. Check this out. With three or four hundred boys who had sex with me from eight and ten and twelve, one hundred percent have run into my bed, jumped in without my mentioning it, and asked for sex. Now, this guy, I just want to reiterate because you're hearing exactly what I'm hearing. He just said this, Dr. Gajasek, Gajasek, however it's pronounced. He says that these kids jumped into his bed, that they wanted to have sex with him. And he's about to explain how he himself is a victim of sexual abuse. And that when he was six or seven years old, was molested by his uncle, but was brainwashed into thinking that he wanted it. And he makes the case that society is wrong for shunning this practice of children wanting to have sex with their parents, wanting to have sex with their family members, wanting to have sex with adult men. Listen to this. Don't you realize that I was jumping in people's beds hoping they would take me? All boys want a lover. My you, God. You as a kid. And every, the, the idea that these men go after you don't have any point in the world. Now, come on. That's the rule of the game. Now, quickly, this is the story of, of Dr. Gajasek that is shown or, excuse me, portrayed through the BBC News documentary, The Genius and the Boys. And, and these are just a couple of clips. They're, they're only a, a minute or two long. But to me, so profound, because this guy is a disciple of Alfred Kinsey, and I've talked about him in the past. You could check out one of the previous episodes where Kinsey's in the title and get a little bit of the background on Kinsey. But Dr. Alfred Kinsey thought that, you know, we should also normalize pedophilia, that incest was a normal thing. And these are issues that, again, to me, they, they 
I'm aghast <laughs> that this was happening in the 40s, in the 50s. And it doesn't surprise me in the least that today we have a movement where they say that we're not only transgender, but now we're trans age, right? There are some people now arguing, saying, look, some adults may identify as eight-year-old kids. So if this sicko decides to say that he identifies as a, as a six-year-old boy, so he wants to have sex with a six-year-old boy, that he should be able to do that. Now, he's using a different uh, rationale. He says that that should be normal. But uh, today, you know, just again, another video I saw, people are claiming to be trans age. This is a thing. And where do we draw the line? It's, oh, it's okay for you to be, you know, to be born one sex and, and identify as another. So once we've accepted that, now do we accept that you are trans age? I mean, this is absolutely sick. Let's continue. There is what I consider a normal family. He pushes and pushes to help mother, please. And when that happens, you have endearing families for life. If you want, tend to care from your children. If you want them to wipe your ass when you're 90 and you're demented. If you want them to stick around when you're sick, instead of putting you in an old age, almost everybody here doesn't ever visit them. If you want the family to stick together, you have to have intergenerational sex. Intergenerational. And it has to be this, within this the is where we don't think the same, Carlton. I mean, I don't believe this. Well, I think it's sad. I think the whole problem of the whole world is the lack of it. And I consider it a defective upbringing if you haven't had helped your parents have fun in sex. It's a defective upbringing, he says, if you haven't helped your parents have fun in sex, that this is the fundamental defect in our society today. This man was in charge of helping children. He was a children's doctor. He presented at the American Pediatric Association in 1956, and it was a paper on pedophilia. This was happening back then. And I think, where were the culture warriors then? How How is it that I'm so shocked? And listen, I can't see if we did a show of hands right now. And if you're driving, keep your hands on the wheel. But I would love to know, am I the only person that's shocked by this? That I'm scrolling, looking at things on, you know, the food recipes and what's happening in my favorite vacation spots while I'm scrolling through Instagram. And, you know, the latest on the crazy stuff happening in Washington. And I hear this story about this guy. I do a little more research. I stumble upon this documentary. And I'm thinking, my goodness, if I haven't heard of this and I do this stuff all day long, I'm sure a lot of you haven't heard this stuff either. Now, I'm pretty sure there's a lot of very astute listeners out there that have heard about this. But the question remains, oh, my goodness, isn't this shocking? I think it is. And if you're not shocked, let me know why you're not shocked. At Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media, at Rich Valdez. Now, my question is... Not only how we got here, because I understand it, ancient Greece, people now closeted these things saying, no, well, they don't they don't allow that anymore. You know, it's kind of like the, the hardcore racists from different places, uh, whether it be from from the south, which is mainly where they're from. Like the, I think the one genuine racist that I've met uh, in my life, I, I bought something once like a, a piece of furniture, uh, an antique, and the uh, the guy was from the south. And the way he threw around the N-word, and, and he could tell I was shocked. And he was like, oh, you northern boys don't talk like that, huh? And he's like, well, listen, just so you know, I'm not a racist, but I was raised by racists. <laughs> I was like, you could have fooled me, pal. And he he, uh, he went on to say, he said, you know, I, I employ, and he keeps using this word, the, the N-word. He's I employed the N-words. Oh, I love the N-words. They're the, some of the best workers I've ever had. I've, I've got friends who are N-words. Uh, he said, you know, my, my daddy, my uncle. You know, the rest of the family, ah, they wouldn't have it that way, you know, uh, and, and he went on to tell these stories of just abuse and, and just how evil it was, you know, and, uh, uh, things he'd heard of. And 
And I thought, my goodness, this guy thinks that he's okay because he's not hurting people that way. And and it, it just it was shocking to me. So, you know, I, I realize that racism exists. I also realize that I'm a Puerto Rican guy and syndicated talk radio. So, I mean, how racist can we be, right? We, we've had a black president. I think we've made many strides in this country that was started by uh, what's the term the left likes to use? Uh, straight white men or, you know, from, from England or whatever the case is. Bottom line is this guy, uh, Daniel Carlton Gajasek, he is a sicko. And I'll continue to revisit this topic because I think that this is pretty crazy. It's really crazy to see how uh, Alfred Kinsey has had such an impact on the work of doctors today. And he himself uh, was impacted by the work of doctors before him, but he was a, a major player at promoting pedophilia, saying that that's not wrong, that it's it's the right thing to do. And again, these things are still around. I mean, I just uh, I just did a quick uh, search on pederasty, and the articles that come up in the news tab of the search. Um, here's an interesting one from the Courier Journal: Homophobic and transphobic agendas are not supported, right? Um, so they're saying by this pederasty, they're saying in nature, specifically pederasty and rape. So they're saying rape and pederasty are wrong. Uh, but, you know, the rest of homosexuality, and again, many people may believe that. I'm not saying that that is right or wrong. Uh, what I'm saying is even people that engage in alternative lifestyles, I think, identify this as being wrong. It's only a small subset of people that, you know, say, no, but that's the right thing. And, you know, some of them participate in an organization called NAMBLA, the North American Man-Boy Love Association. And this is I'm reading this in uh, VancouverIsAwesome.com. It says, NAMBLA is a pedophilia and peder pederasty advocacy group, and they're claiming that um, hundreds of sexual assaults by a scout leader are actually mentorship, right? Or they, they make this case that that is the way things should be. So it just, it, it amazes me that you have that. And we've had this conflict within the church. So it's not isolated to one place. So people think that it's the entire church. I wouldn't say it's the entire church. Uh, I would say that there are, there's been clerical pederasty and abuses that, that have happened for forever. Uh, and, and it will continue forever. I would su suppose that this is a crime that you know, is pervasive and people have become really good at concealing it. And it was once kind of celebrated and, you know, thought of as these guys were the, the ancient philosopher kings. And, and I just think it's, it's crazy and it's sick and we have to draw attention to it because I think there's a lot of people thinking that everything's on the up and up. Meanwhile, there are people like this at the highest levels of every institution, whether it's people that are in the Vatican or in the Catholic Church or any church, uh, whether it's people that are in a, a scouting organization, and I'm not trying to you know, alienate them or single them out. I think these things exist everywhere. They exist in government. They exist in every part of our society, and we'd be fools to not keep an eye on this type of thing. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. I want to talk about what's happening a little bit with with the border, uh, some of that grotesque stuff that they um, alleged that Andrew Tate did, because that seems to be the other side of uh, the human trafficking angle that we don't see, and uh, as well as the prediction that I'm going to make on what's going to happen with um, Speaker McCarthy or uh, soon-to-be Speaker McCarthy or um, next-in-line Speaker McCarthy. I don't know what to call him, presumed Speaker McCarthy. Anyway, don't go anywhere. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. The 45th President, Donald Trump, thinks it's an honor to speak with Rich Valdez. Oh, very good. Mr. Call Screener. Yeah. Oh, it's an honor. Thanks, Rich. 
The honor is all yours. Conservative talk with a dash of sofrito. Now, here's Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And again, if you haven't uh, subscribed to the podcast for America at Night, uh, which is separate from this one, that's the radio show that I do at night, Monday through Friday, 10 p.m. Eastern, 7 p.m. Pacific, where we do interviews. It's an interview program. It's not commentary like what we're doing here. And uh, we get the input from lots of other people who have lots of different opinions to weigh in upon and share their thoughts. And plus, we get phone calls from across the country, which I think is really cool. That's actually a tradition that was started by Larry King when he had this show prior to uh, Jim Bohannon, the late, great Jim Bohannon. And uh, he called it Open Phone America. And Jim Bohannon also held on to that tradition for three decades of open phones across America. And we're going to do the same thing. And we're going to integrate a little bit, maybe get a text line, maybe um, put a little more emphasis on reading the comments, um, because there's always comments. Speaking of comments, uh, I, I recently tweeted that, uh, let's see here, I tweeted that we were we were taking steps closer and closer to pushing McCarthy to cut deals with Democrats uh, every day that we stalled in this process. Now, yes, I was being a little heavy-handed in my commentary, granted, but my point was I think it's okay to negotiate and use hardball tactics as long as they're real and attainable. And I think we've finally gotten there. I think in the last two or three days, we've we've been able to see a few different people come out of uh, the Republican conference and say, you know what, we're going to have to work on this rules package it may not be exactly everything you're asking for because we have to be able to to work and and they had to convince enough people that the rules package that was originally asked for would in effect create a speaker that was incredibly weak and this of course would help the democrats so you know th- there's no um there's no win there now i understand why um, Representative Gates and Representative Boebert are pushing for that is because they feel you can't trust McCarthy. So, you know, we don't want McCarthy, who they feel is Pelosi in drag. So they say, OK, you know what? Um, we're going to have to handcuff him and create a, a rules package where we say we'll vote for you if you do all of this and you're essentially neutered. But that doesn't bode well for the Republican conference having a speaker, right? You want a speaker that's going to have some power, some ability to move forward. So I think that's uh, of critical importance. And I think they've gotten there where they've made their deals. And I think McCarthy's, I think he's four votes away. And we will find out. Again, we're, we're at this, as of this recording, we are prior to the 10 p.m. vote on Speaker of the House for the Republican conference. Now, we'll carry that uh, in some part live as we can uh, on my nighttime show. But for now, I'm going to give you my predictions on this, uh, my thoughts on it, my prediction on it, is that I believe McCarthy is going to win. I don't believe he's going to be replaced. Like he said in the beginning, he wasn't going anywhere. I think it would be foolish to get rid of him. And again, I tweeted earlier, so I'm on the record with this. You could hold me to it. I do not... Um, prefer McCarthy. I would prefer Jim Jordan. I would prefer Matt Gates. I think Matt Gates is a solid, strong guy, and I would love for him to be speaker. The problem is, A, he doesn't want to be speaker, and B, I don't see a path for him to even become speaker if he wanted to, right? Like Byron McDonald's who stepped up. No path for him either. Not even for Jim Jordan, 
who didn't step up, but you know, it, 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 there's no gravitas there, right? Because people are, are selling their votes in some cases, others are pledging their support. And the one that has the most support is McCarthy. So to me, he's the easiest path forward. Uh, like president Trump tweeted, take the win and support Kevin. And uh, Trump, I think, put it best. I think he said he's going to be a good speaker with potential to be a great speaker. And I think what we do is we make sure that we hold him accountable, right? You 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 maintain some sort of leverage. Now, I understand that's where Boebert and Gates and, and that um, group of dissidents are saying, you know what, how can we hold him accountable if he's got all the power, right? So this is why they're trying to wrest some of the power away. I get that. Um, but I just wanted to... Um, bring that to your attention. I also wanted to just quickly go into a couple of uh, comments here because somebody uh, was, somebody said something I thought that was pretty funny here. I put this here and let me see if I could find it quickly. I know we're live here, so I don't want to um, mess this up. But uh, anyway, it was to the effect of, thank God you're not representing the 70 million Americans that voted for these 20. And I thought, hey, that actually is not a thing, right? <laughs> um, it's, 750,000 people that vote for a congressperson, per se, in, in any given district. And uh, I didn't vote for Matt Gates or for, or for Lauren Boebert, although I likely would if I lived in their district. But my point is, the 70 million votes he's referring to were 70 million votes that were garnered by President Trump. It was President Trump that got these votes. It wasn't um, these individual congresspeople. Right. So I think, again, these are false equivalencies that are just running amok all over the place where people just say things and think that they're automatically true and they're not. And I think it's important for us to um, to understand the, the difference here and the nuance with this stuff, because ultimately we we need to pay very close attention to, to the way this goes down so that we don't end up with the short end of the stick. Right. So uh, it's Trump. Right. It was Trump that got 70 million votes. And consequently, it's Trump that is endorsing McCarthy. Now, look, I realize as a talk show host, I don't know that I've been given any bright ideas that I can potentially share with you. I have some opinions and I share them as an American. I can see that each of us do our part and realize that if if you go too far, like if you decide hey, let's let's burn everything down because I don't agree. Well, that's not good, right? You, we, we should never say, oh my gosh, there's an infestation in a property I own. None of us says, hey, burn the whole thing down, right? Nobody says that. You know, if you have a rat, a roach, whatever infestation you want, termites, nobody says burn the thing down. Now, I guess on occasion, there may be some places that are so badly gone, but again, I've, I've never had that experience. So I don't know anything of that. And I think most people would make the choice of fumigating, right? Or draining the swamp. That's what you do. And you have, sometimes you have to have the exterminator come back and treat several buildings, treat it several times, you know, until it's not infested anymore, or at least until I guess it's a manageable infestation if we're talking about Washington. Because again, I, I don't know that it's realistic to totally um, cut out that cancer. I wish. I think Machiavelli put it best that power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And I think as long as there's power, there's going to be people that do bad things when they have this power. So I don't know that we can totally eliminate it, but we, yes, we can make a stronger um, set of rules. And yes, we can put solid conservatives that we can trust in those committee um, seats in, in the rules committee and, and um, appropriations, you know, so that we curb spending or tie 
spending to cutbacks on on budgets. And I love all of these plans. Uh, and I, I agree with playing hardball. I just think as long as you can get to a deal, if you're just sitting there and being flip about it or really just trying to toot your own horn and, and get some eyeballs, then I would say then obviously that's not a good look. And I'm not accusing anybody of that, but I'm sure that there was a little bit of that going on somewhere at some point. It's Washington after all. So I think that's um, key. But on that note, I want to talk a little bit about Biden uh, and what did. And I had some audio that I, I, I played yesterday on the radio. And um, if I could find it, I'll, I'll bring it in. But there was a few clips of Biden at the border and just saying some silly things. You know, one of the things he said was that Title 42 was um, <laughs> it, it was part of what made things at the border worse. You know, I think this is stupid. Or you had Alejandro Mayorkas saying that uh, there's no crisis at the border. Then, okay, we have a crisis at the border. And, you know, or he admits that we have a problem. He says, well, there's not a crisis. It's really we have a problem with the amount of people that are crossing the border. It's, okay. Imagine telling the mayor of New York City, him saying, well, we don't have a crime problem. We just we have a problem with the amount of people that are committing legal infractions here in the city. And <laughs> it's trying to say that with a straight face. You know, I think that's just, you know, it's, I don't I don't have an eating problem. I don't have a problem with my weight. I just, I have a problem with saying no to food that isn't healthy for me. Semantics aren't going to get us anywhere, right? We need to, to have a focus and we have to make sure we know exactly what's going on. And where on earth is Kamala Harris, Kamala Harris, the vice president of the United States, also known as our borders are, she's nowhere to be found. And this is a problem. We can't just have this type of situation where we, we have people that are given a job and it's, it's busy work, right? It's lip service that we're getting. But listen to this. Uh, Biden is visiting AMLO, the president of Mexico, and he makes a visit to the border. And now he announces a new legal pathway and uh, new enforcement measures as he's going down to the border. Fascinating. Uh, because he's saying there's going to be stricter consequences on migrants attempting to reach the U.S. illegally. Oh, really? I don't believe that. I really don't. Uh, for example, he says, quote, don't just show up at the border. Now, he's talking to migrants from Cuba, Nicaragua, Haiti, and Venezuela in his remarks at the White House on Thursday, right before he left for the trip, because he's saying that this is um, the, the new strategy that they're going to have. So they're going to take certain people from certain places, but not everybody from everywhere, which, again, I think is a, a good idea to not take everybody from everywhere. But these measures extend as a asylum process and admitting Venezuelan nationals with a U.S. sponsor into the country, immigrants from Cuba, immigrants from Haiti and Nicaragua, admitting up to 30,000 immigrants from these countries each month. Uh, and this is according to the White House. Now, officials that are promoting the program um, they say that there's going to be a 90% reduction in the number of encounters of Venezuelan immigrants at the border. I don't know how they could calculate such a thing without even implementing this policy, but let us see what happens. Now, at the same time, the Department of Homeland Security, they're um, working quickly to expel Cubans, Haitians, and Nicaraguans that are attempting to come into the U.S. illegally, with Mexico now agreeing to accept up to 30,000 immigrants that have been expelled from the United States each month and these immigrants will be returned to Mexico and those who cross unlawfully into Panama or Mexico uh, on their way to the U.S. will become ineligible for asylum under the new rules. So um, let's see if, if, if Biden's telling the truth. I mean, I would have expected that these are already rules if you're caught breaking these rules. And it was Biden himself, as far as I can remember, right? I, I, I think I know how to read. 
he was the one that relaxed all of these rules that said, oh, no, no, we're not going to tell you no if you have a DWI. We're not going to tell you no if you have domestic violence. So we're letting in murderers. You know, I sound like Trump now. They're rapists. They're murderers. We're letting in the the uh, creme de la creme of so many countries. We're allowing them into the U.S. without without any vetting. And I bump into immigrants myself that are doing things the right way, like the, the Cubans at the restaurant I go to every morning to get my cafe con leche. And I could tell you that they weren't happy about this. They said, look, you know, and these, again, the one guy, he likes Biden. But he said, I think Biden sounds like a jerk. The things that he's saying, he's like, you've got people, especially Cubans, that are trying to do the right thing and get into the country. And and we're we're punishing the people that are doing it right by taking no action. And we are subsequently helping the ones that are are potentially being trafficked um and rewarding them with this with this situation so to me it doesn't look good i think we have to really really um stay the course here and biden needs to get rid of mayorkas before he gets embarrassed once uh, we have a new speaker who again uh, my prediction is it'll be kevin mccarthy and we actually make the move to impeach mayorkas and i think that that should be the first uh uh, warning shot that we sent to this administration, letting them know, hey, look, we're going to take out that guy, and then we're going to go and take out everybody else, including you, if you don't do the right thing. Anyway, there is more to come straight ahead. Give me a shout at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. If you uh, want to take a look at some of the things that I've been up to, I post the photos on Instagram at Rich Valdez with an S. You can uh, ch- follow me there, and uh, I try to tweet whatever thoughts I have on Twitter as they come. So, not many thoughts. <laughs> I'm not on there too much, but uh, I try to keep in touch with everybody and interact with everybody as well on Facebook uh, also. So don't go anywhere. We're going to do the wrap-up on the way back. We're going to talk about this Andrew Tate stuff and uh, put a fork in all the rest of what we're talking about. I'm Rich Valdez. This is America. This is America. He's making podcasting great again. This is America with Rich Valdez. All right, America, welcome back. Rich Valdez, Valdez with an S, at Rich Valdez on all of the social media. And um, before we get into all the rest of the topics, or actually maybe we should get into those topics, right? I want to quickly, there's an audio clip of Andrew Tate that was um, on social media the other day that I heard. And I said, yeah, I want, I want to play that because there's a lot of controversy, right? A lot of people really liked his uh, approach and the fact that, you know, he fought back against censorship and all of that. And I think that's that's a good thing to fight back. Um, but in recent days, I've seen different people tweeting um, uh, different things about his uh, business. I didn't know he had a business running a webcam business um, where apparently he, he made millions of dollars, him and his brother, with these services where people would hire webcam models, so very attractive women that they believed were in certain parts of the world um, to for companionship. You know, they said this is for entertainment and it, it wasn't like prostitution, it was a video. Um, maybe they did those things, I don't know. But basically these people fell in love with these women and these women would, you know, give them a sob story. And, and their terms and conditions indicated these women are acting and, you know, anything you do is on you. So... Many of these women were saying, oh, you know, I, I got into this modeling gig online because I'm trying to put myself through school or I'm trying to help my mom because she needs surgery or I need the They come up with these sob stories and some people really just fall in love with them and they want to give them money. 
it's fascinating. And in, in one of the interviews I read, I think this was in, uh, and again, not the most reputable uh, paper, but I think it was in the UK Mirror or the UK Sun. And uh, in it, he, Tate, I think, says, he says that um, he stopped one user from giving 20,000 pounds to one of the models because his mom had just died and he had gotten inheritance. And he said, no, 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 don't do that. And only for that same guy to come back again a week later and give it to a different girl. So these people uh, really loved falling in love with these girls and giving them money. It gave them a sense of fulfillment and whatnot. And Tate had a 60-40 split with them with 40 going to the model and 60 going to the house for the production and the studios that they created. And, and in fact, they admit to this. It's not, you know, they were bragging that this is their business model was to portray these uh, beautiful women and, and they would pretend that they were typing, but they weren't. It was an unplugged keyboard and they actually had other people that were skilled at building relationship and learning the name of these people's dogs of each user. And, um, you know, these people were really getting, you know, duped into thinking that they had an online relationship. And I think this is just fascinating to me because, I mean, you know, I might be gullible for some things, but I don't think that's happening, right? Like I said, uh, you know, if you, if you have an infestation, you don't burn down the house and you don't fall in love, A, at the Jersey Shore and B, online, right? I think that's just crazy. You're going to get catfished. But that is the case there uh, with Andrew Tate. So do we, do we have the audio of Andrew Tate? All right, let's check this out. If you have super fans that have her WhatsApp or have her Skype or follow her on Twitter or on her Instagram, you can interact with them 24 hours a day. Even if she doesn't want to work or she's asleep, you can send out a tweet, you can do the WhatsApp, you can do the Skype, you can generate money. I used to go through there and say, I'm having my nails done today or I'm having my hair done today. Anyone who sends me the money for my hair, I'll send exclusive pictures to. So there's Tate explaining how he runs this business and how he made his money and that's how they bought their private jet and all these expensive cars, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And, uh, and I get it. Listen, I, uh, I understand uh, where, where he's coming from. You know, he's trying to make money. I don't know that I, I would do this business myself. Uh, I don't think I have the skill set for it. But he continues to make news because he was arrested uh, on human trafficking charges. And people are saying that he, um, you know, that he was beating women, that he was um, holding them against their will and that these models weren't being paid. They weren't there voluntarily. He, he denies those claims from what I've heard now, uh, breaking news from about seven o'clock at night on Friday, the 6th of January, the uh, second anniversary of January 6th, uh, headline from the New York post says Andrew Tate messaged undergrad, excuse me, underaged girls, uh, in particular, the daughter of a prominent Romanian politician. Uh, and now this is where it, it gets it gets crazy because the daughter of a prominent Romanian politician says that disgraced influencer Andrew Tate contacted her and several classmates when they were young teens, trying to lure them with uh, the promise of some sort of date with him and his brother or whatever. And she says, quote, I was contacted by Andrew, uh, Andrew Tate, the older of the Tate brothers, three years ago when I was just 16. Her name is Daria Gusa. Uh, she told the Romanian journalist, Josefina Pascal in an interview provided to the New York Post. She goes on to say, I was a bit surprised because I had just made my Instagram account. I had a couple of hundred followers, she said. And uh, Tate, a former professional kickboxer and self-proclaimed misogynist, <laughs> uh, was arrested in Romania last week on suspicion of sex trafficking and rape. Uh, I also saw somebody on Twitter, I think it was Matt Brainerd, who uh, tweeted a video of Tate going, like following a girl, chasing her. Uh, until she locked herself in a room with a belt 
and he says, I'm going to beat the F out of you. And, you know, if I had the audio readily available, I would have um, played it for you. But uh, it does exist, and you can definitely find it. And I believe after that was uh, surfaced, he, he claimed that this was a role-play scenario with him and that girl, and that was how they, you know, uh, enjoyed their time together. Uh, I, I don't know. It, it seemed genuine to me. Maybe he's a great actor. Uh, I mean, I, I don't know what to say. Uh, I, I found this guy's content interesting many times. A lot of his philosophy makes a lot of sense. He talks about God a lot. He talks about, you know, just being masculine and things like that, which, again, I think don't make you a rapist. They don't make you a criminal. Uh, however, these other things they're alleging could potentially make you a rapist and a criminal. So the jury's out for me. I don't know. I don't know Andrew Tate. Never hung out with him. Uh, I can't for sure say that because he made provocative content online that somehow this automatically um, puts him in, the, in the, the running to get arrested and to get canceled and to get murdered like Jeffrey Epstein. I, I don't know the answer. Uh, it, it very well may be real, right? Maybe he really is just a legit playboy kickboxer that runs this business and made money doing it and pissed off the wrong people somehow and now they're trying to set him up that's a and it's wholly possible look at what they've done to trump however um i don't know so i'm just giving you the story the way i got it but i just think it's a very interesting story because there's there's new pieces falling out uh every day there's new pieces new breadcrumbs if you will that are um falling into the fold and not the least of which is the um, this this latest story that the Romanian politician says that his daughter was contacted? Which again, if you're a powerful uh, politician anywhere, and somebody messes with your family, you're going to use your power. I mean, it makes sense to me that you're going to use your power at least see to it that things are going to be done the right way because people aren't stupid, right? And people care to do things, whether you're a Republican or a Democrat or a liberal or a conservative, no matter what you are, who you are. One thing remains the same is that people are going to do what they have to do to get things done. And just to switch gears a little bit, I wanted to share some thoughts with you because years ago there was a book that was written about how to take over Colorado, right? Colorado was a red state where they, they figured out a strategy, mainly leveraging the LGBTQ uh, supporters that were in the area and closely out of state to donate and come into the state to help them get an assembly district. And they did it with a congressional district. And it grew. And it was a 10-year plan, and they called it the Blueprint. And they wrote a book about it. And it was four guys, a couple of donors, um, uh, one activist named Jared Polis, and they called themselves the Four Horsemen. And this book, The Blueprint, lays out everything. Today, Jared Polis is... I think he's governor in Colorado. If not, he's a senator for Colorado, U.S. senator. Um, he, he, he was a congressman. He's been all over the place. And, and my point is they've had, it's been now like more like 20 years since they put this plan into place, but it worked like a charm. And I highly recommend that you read this book, The Blueprint. Don't be afraid of reading what the, the left has written because I think it's important for us to know what they're up to and how they do it. And you got to read it because that's how they did this leftist takeover in Colorado. Another great book that I think everybody should read is The Art of War by Sun Tzu, right? That's uh, an excellent book, as well as Rules for Radicals by Saul Alinsky. And I first read that when I uh, was hired at uh, Project Veritas. James O'Keefe gave me a copy and he said, great book. Another book that he gave me, he said, you know, if you want to learn about Mau Mau tactics, it's kind of what the left uses. Uh, it's kind of like if I say, no, you can't do that. 
What do you mean I can't do that? You can't do that. Why? Because I'm brown? Why? Because I'm Hispanic? Why? Because I'm a man? You know, right away, you just make it about race and sex, and you just keep complaining and escalating your voice and making it more of a thing until you back the other person down. This is known as the Mau Mau tactic. And uh, obviously, I'm not great at it. I don't have a lot of practice in it, but the left is expert at this. Um, and this is a CIA tactic that they used overseas years ago, and uh, it still works using uh, race and sex. But we've already begun to see what happens when parents use some of these tactics and organize against grooming, against the hypersexualization of our children, right? We've seen that. We, we've seen victories and parents, yes, they do get put on the domestic violent extremist list as uh, domestic terrorists, but at the same time, they're effective and they're bringing about change. On the uh, late night show that I host, uh, we had Scott Smith on. He's the dad whose daughter was raped by a boy wearing a skirt in the high school bathroom, the girl's bathroom. Right. And he, he told us, uh, you know, how he felt about that and how it was after they arrested the superintendent, you know, a year and a half later. But my point is, we're seeing small victory. Not, that's not a small victory. I think it's a big victory. But we're seeing change. It's just it takes time. And reading these books that I'm telling you about, I think, are important and you, you should read them because these tactics are out there. And this is just the beginning. We, we can win on every issue if we do it right and if we stick together. That's just my opinion. But it's going to cost us money. It's going to cost us things that we have to sacrifice, like time. Remember, the left has given up having a family. They've given up a lot of things that they don't even believe in, right? They don't believe in having children. AOC doesn't believe in having children. They believe the world is going to end in 12 years. So they're like, why bother having kids? And they're willing to move to another state like Beto O'Rourke or to go support Beto O'Rourke or to move into Beto O'Rourke's district just so that they can take that part of Texas. And their hope is once we get it done this year, then next year, and then we got another district, and in 50 years, we'll own this state. This will be a blue state, and it'll never turn red. And guess what? What they're doing seems to be working because as they go, they change more rules. They do what they do. So I think it's important that we just notice how they're moving, and we start to move, if not in a similar fashion, in an even more aggressive fashion because they know what they have to do just to get those votes, just to win these districts. That's what we're up against. Are we ready? I don't know. You let me know at Rich Valdez with an S on all of the social media. But you have to stand for something because if you stand for nothing, you'll fall for anything. And the only thing necessary for evil to triumph is for good people like you to sit there and do nothing. Now, that's a quote from Sir Edmund Burke, and the other one is from Hamilton. And these things are true today like they've never been true before. America needs each and every one of us more today than she's ever needed us before. So time for you to do what you got to do. Check out the Late Night Show, by the way. Listen to this show. Share it with a friend and get at me at Rich Valdez with an S on all the social media. Happy 2023. This is, I think, our first show of 2023 for This Is America. And hasta la próxima. I'm Rich Valdez, and this is America. This is America. The Bigger Pockets portfolio of podcasts are worthy of your investment. We're having a real conversation as real real estate investors. New episodes available every day. It's important to buy where it makes money and not necessarily where you want to travel to. Bigger Pockets on the market, rookie real estate or money podcast. The purpose of flipping is to create more cash so then you can reinvest into other types of properties. The Bigger Pockets podcast on YouTube or wherever you listen.